So, continuing along with this uh, chapter, chapter two, understanding Dharma. Supporting the sasana, the Buddhist religion, by making merit is good. It is the bark and the leaves, but it's still good. A tree needs its bark, doesn't it? When you make offerings and take part in ceremonies, do it with a good mind. Not a greedy or deluded mind, but as a Buddhist who believes in cause and result. When you go home and people ask, you went to the monastery, did you get any merit? You can explain what merit is all about. This kind of activity is upaya, or skillful means. Teaching is also one upaya. Understand this, it is convention. The real Dharma is something that we cannot see with the eyes or hear with the ears. So uh, uh, this, uh, again, going into the um, different levels of the teaching and uh, the, the Dhamma of, uh, of the spoken word or the written word is, is one aspect and uh, the sense of, of getting merit or, or uh, getting anything. Um, as he says, these are activities which are uh, skillful means but they're very much functioning, functioning on the worldly level, on the worldly plane. Um, and uh, he's uh, once more emphasizing the fact uh, you know, the real Dharma is something we cannot see with the eyes or hear with the ears, so that the same word, uh, Dharma or Dhamma, is used for the, say, the verbal teachings and the, the collection of words uh, in the Tipitaka, but also that fundamental reality which is, uh, as we were talking about yesterday, is real but doesn't exist uh, and uh, is not, as he points out here, not uh, able to be seen with the eyes or to be heard with the ears. When a teacher instructs her students, she uses an example such as, Mr. A has this much money. In actuality, there is no Mr. A. She, she uses chalk to create this person on the blackboard. Is it Mr. A? Yes, as a supposition, a convention. But he can't run around and do things. We can talk about this Mr. A, the purpose of learning, but he can't get up and move. This is upaya. There is no Mr. A. We use the letter A and suppose the person into existence for some purpose. He also uses the, the term like designating or determining into existence as a way that the mind sort of makes choices to to use conventions and to say like today is is Friday, uh, you know, tomorrow is uh, New Moon Day and so on. That these are conventions that we uh, we use. Or tomorrow is Chinese New Year. It's uh, <laughs> a, a convention by uh, our own suppositions or designations. What we determine into existence. So all of those words, supposing, determining, designating, they're all being used to refer to the same kind of way that we um, give something a um, uh, an informal reality or substantiality. And I think th this example that Lumpur uh, gives about uh, teaching a lesson in a classroom, you know, say, take Mr. A, you know, there isn't a Mr. A, <laughs> but you're just using, you, you created that, that um, a rudimentary person for the sake of make, uh, giving a, a teaching or making an example.
If we just have mindfulness and clear comprehension of ourselves, we can do the practice. Some will think, I have no time to meditate. I have to sell things. Hey, when you're doing business, do you breathe? If you have time to breathe, you have time to practice Dharma. Meditation is nothing but this awareness and sensitivity. When you talk about, quote, meditating while you sell, unquote, people think it means to sit down in the market and close your eyes. Awareness means knowing what you're doing at the moment. Today, did you speak, act and think wrongly? If you have mindfulness, you must know. So again, this is a very, very common theme of Lumpo Chas about the um, meditation, not just being sitting with your eyes closed or doing walking meditation, but um, the as he as he puts it here, the uh, meditation is nothing but this awareness and sensitivity, and that uh, this uh, you know, if you have time to breathe, you have time to meditate, or if you have time to eat, you have time to to meditate. That uh, uh, he would uh, <laughs> pretty much uh, without uh, um, without exception, he would all, he would be emphasizing that as a uh, an understanding of the the practice because it's so common to think your know, meditation equals sitting in a dumb hole with your eyes closed or concentrating on your breath or doing walking meditation, and so he over and over and over again he uh, emphasized that. There's, uh, it's more sensible to think in terms of formal practice and informal practice, that, but to sustain that quality of continuity. Um, the Pali word for that is santati, and uh, the Pali word for peace is santi. So he would often say, yeah, if you have continuity in the practice, santati, then it leads to santi, it leads to, to peacefulness. So this is a... a it doesn't belittle the, the usefulness and value of formal practice, obviously. Like we have this <laughs> three-month-long meditation retreat where we're doing a lot of formal practice individually and together. Um, so naturally, this is a, a very powerful, skillful means that we, we use with great um, commitment and dedication. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it'll be a wrong understanding or unhelpful understanding to think that the real practice equals sitting in the temple or... or or doing the uh, formal exercises of samatha vipassana, and the rest uh, uh, is just sort of filler. <laughs> but uh, over and over and over again, Lumpacha would emphasize this that uh, that quality of continuity of mindfulness, paying attention um, to the flow of experience, and in particular, watching the flow of moods, feeling uh, excited, feeling uh, depressed, feeling uh, comfortable, feeling uncomfortable, that uh, does that. Uh, readiness to to be aware of the flow of experiences and, and moods during the course of the day that would be uh, very much what he would emphasize as being that that's at the core of, of meditation any thoughts questions Roger, the, uh, I know we spoke yesterday about Buddha nature <laughs> The passage you've just read, actually, it's very difficult for Theravadans to understand, but it described it perfectly because the Buddha nature, when people say, I have Buddha nature, it doesn't mean that you are saying that you are a Buddha. It means that you have um, the seed of goodness or a, a, a awakening in, in all beings. 
so like a, um, a lotus can come out of a pond. The flower doesn't see the flower, but we see it, or like a diamond's covered in dirt. And when it's clean, we see the diamond. That's the seed of goodness, as you speak of, our human potential. Mm. So it's actually seen as a practice to stop hatred and um, despising people because even if the person's completely covered in dirt, we have this in our heart that at some point the real Buddha nature of that being will be seen. So as you're speaking in the story now, the Lotus Sutra, um, many in the Hindu tradition, they tell a story. Now, who's heard of a story and something awakens in you? Like when we're listening to this, something awakens. I can't describe what it is, that potential that awakens in me, but when we're coming to a temple or listening to a dharma talk, that's usually a, a seed of goodness that awakens. That's, that's what it's, it's referring to. And, you know, as people in, in that tradition, it would be completely wrong to say that on the Buddha because that's 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 where it's leading. It's not where it is, you know. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's that potential. I just thought I'd, I'd say that, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the the um. As Zongpo uh, puts it, awareness means knowing what you're doing at the moment. Today, did you speak, act, and think wrongly? If you have mindfulness, you must know. So that, uh, I think, underscores um, that quality that uh, mindfulness is it's not just an act of attention, but there's also, in what is samasati, or, or right mindfulness, there's an intrinsic element in it that recognizes what's wholesome or what's unwholesome. There's a like an intuitive um, feel for that, so that um, sometimes mindfulness is talked about as just paying attention or, or uh, being focused in the present. Um, but uh, yeah, what comes across over and over, and then Lumpur talks about this, um, uh, you know, observing what's wholesome, what's unwholesome. So that's that's an intrinsic part of samasati, and so that in a way, sati without that that element being sort of conscious or close to the surface that's more i would say michasati or wrong mindfulness it's it's not a, a mindfulness that's necessarily connected with uh, with dhamma so that you can mindfully rob a bank or you can you know, mindfully um uh, sort of, uh, in, engage in unskillful activity yeah it's a kind of mindfulness but it's michasati micha means wrong or or uh, in, inappropriate or, or unskillful so it's, it's, it is a kind of mindfulness, but it's a micha sati rather than a, a samasati. So that that um, uh, quality of awareness and paying uh, paying attention that brings with it a, a, a an intuitive sense of of this is skillful, this is beneficial, this is this is something that's that's kindly and generous, or this is something that is harmful, it's divisive, it's uh, it's painful. So that. That uh, the clarifying of that awareness brings with it um, a more and more of an acute uh, moral sense, and that uh, e- you know, even though in, in sort of the Western uh, thinking sometimes morality seems like a kind of 
an optional extra, or can, and it can come across as a kind of an imposition. Uh, within Buddhist psychology, it's seen that the the more uh, that the the mind is is freed from greed, hatred, and delusion, then the stronger that moral sense, that natural moral sensitivity becomes. So it doesn't have to be willed or decided. And so, um, uh, I've, I've already I think mentioned a few times, um, but I'll mention again. <laughs> there's a a, uh, a a couple of suttas side by side in the um, numerical discourses where the Buddha's talking to a, a couple of different wanderers about the the nature of the enlightened mind, and he he's uh, and talking about about virtue, and uh, he said uh, that quite quite clear, specifically says that these two one is called suttava, the other is called sajja, uh, um, that. Uh, for for an arahant, they cannot deliberately take the life of another living being. It's it's impossible. They they cannot will that. They, they can't will that act within themselves. They can't uh, take anything that doesn't belong to them. That there there's not anything in them that will can can enable them to do that. They can't tell a lie. Um, it's just, it's impossible. So rather than than an arahant kind of obeying rules or following a kind of a code of behavior is completely natural. And the, the, the vinya arose um, and with, with dozens and hundreds, thousands of, of different detailed rules growing up because um, more and more people were coming into the sangha and were not, not being guided by perfect wisdom <laughs> and were not arahants. And so more more do's and don'ts had to be specified, uh, but uh, in, in the beginning, in the earliest years, when there were when there were a large number of enlightened beings, and the the, the Buddha didn't uh, lay down uh, any uh, any party moka, any rules to start off with. It was uh, it was kind of uh, assumed. As auto, uh, it was a, like a an automatic understanding. Of um, of how to act and how to to speak and how to engage and then as the sangha grew and as more and more less than enlightened people uh, came in and were around then more and more details had to be had to be spelled out for the benefit of those who were still being uh, the mind still motivated by by greed hatred delusion and uh, and so on and so and so on and so forth. So I, I feel those are, are very significant. They're quite short suttas, but very significant in the in the Buddha saying how the, uh, it, the in a way an arahant is not observing is not is not practicing any kind of restraint. <laughs> like they, it's not it's not a renunciation. The heart is naturally given towards uh, simplicity and that uh, and and kindness and harmlessness and, and honesty. It's it's not an effort. Uh, for those things to be uh, employed, but it's a completely natural disposition of the pure heart. Yes, Eugenia. Um, in terms of what you've just said, it seems that um, quite often the mind can delude itself, saying this is good, this is bad, according to conditioning or some achieving patterns or some tradition which says this is good to do, this is bad, and. I think a lot of minds can delude themselves, but I think that body is a bit more attuned to the Dharma and the what? The body. The body, yeah. Yes. And quite often, the more you are in tune with your body, 
the more you feel when you do something a bit off. So even when your mind can say it's right or justified some, somehow, your body will say. And <laughs> Yes. It's you're reaching for the for the cake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's mid-afternoon. This is not the time. Yes, and I see that um, maybe in the beginning when you're really deluded, you can ignore completely, uh, and then you have to listen more and more. And it seems that for Buddha, probably they just it's it's completely in tune all mm-hmm. together. So they just act like they cannot go against each other. And it seemed that, you know, for, for, for me personally, it seemed that quite often I have to go more with the body rather than with mind that can get any kind of idea about what is good, what is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the mind can be extremely deceptive. The, uh, and it's one of those, it's one of those areas where the, the more clever the mind is and the more of a problem it, it can be because it's like having a really like highly paid legal department you know, the lawyers, they can make a case for anything. And so that, <laughs> that's, the, a, uh, that's also, I would say, one of the benefits of, of community and, and living in community is that that when you're, the legal department is saying, I think it's a really good idea if I do this or I, I don't bother doing that. And then <clears throat> that uh, living as, as a community, living as part of a group, then the, then the that sense of, of shared values can also bring a, a sense of well, wait, wait a minute, where's that coming from? But but it's also interesting what you say about the body because um, in the connected discourses, the Sanyutta Nikaya, there's um, a section called um, the Asankata Sanyutta, the connected discourses about the unconditioned, and the very first one, uh, the very first sutra in that section, uh, the Buddha says, "I'll teach you the unconditioned and the way to lead to um, leading to the unconditioned." And what is the way leading to the unconditioned? Mindfulness directed towards the body. So that's kind of the first, right? and that's also very much a, a, a principle of the um, of the forest tradition. That uh, even though it's it's known as a sort of meditation tradition, that mindfulness of the body and paying attention to to the body and its and its activities and uh, sitting standing walking lying down and so forth that's very uh, very f- uh, firmly emphasized and i and i would say that you know, what you're you're commenting is is part is very much part of that 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 you um, the body has its own wisdom its own intelligence and so that it can be um a uh, uh, a good indicator of, of mind states when the if the the attention is lost in the mental world, uh, it's, you can not uh, uh, you can not be aware of the impact that the body is having. If you bring attention into the body, you, you can find that you know you're really tense, you know, or you're really irritated, or you're you're uh, really exhausted and such like. So that then uh, that appreciation of the of the the nature of the body, then in a in a non-verbal way, can uh, can help uh, balance things out. So that realizing, oh, the, my body's in a really tense state. That's feeding an attitude of anxiety or agitation or needing to fix something or get something. And that then, by being aware of that tension in the body, then there's a, a relaxation. And then also that uh, the the unskillful motivations in the mental world can be. Can, can reduce can be buffered whereas the legal department is saying I think it's a good idea you know <laughs> the kind of uh, 
pushing the pushing the the uh, the, the kind of the giving the the old habits uh, uh, a lot of support and energy. And that's why in the the ten subjects of frequent recollection by one who's gone forth, the one of the early ones is I should strive to uh, to abandon my former habits, like getting to know what those habits are, and then uh, and using. The, these various aspects of mindfulness, of uh, uh, both mindfulness that's including a sense of skillful and unskillful, and also mindfulness of the body. That's all what helps to to unpick those uh, the, the causes for those uh, those former habits, the unskillful habits that are still got momentum behind them. Okay, to continue. Um, can you just ask? I was just wondering about, um, with regards to the killing and the arahants, what would their stance be on taking things like antibiotics? Uh, the, uh, the standard in Vinaya is if it's uh, something that is invisible to the naked eye, then it is uh, negligible. Aboharika is the Pali word. Because so, the, the Buddha realized you know, people are going to get worried about things they... They, they can't see, and so this could be a cause for a lot of doubt and anxiety in the scrupulous Sangha members. So if it's not visible to the naked eye, uh, then it's not considered uh, taking life. Also, um, and, uh, <coughs> most, most bacteria will be considered plant, plant life rather than animal life, as far as I understand. Um, um, Sometimes people have had uh, doubts about tapeworms, whether to take medicine for uh, if they've got a tapeworm. So those uh, that's uh, comes up for discussion once in a blue moon. Not so much in the West, but uh, the, those those things do come up. And I ha- I have heard of people uh, members of the sangha who've been. Quite happy to say, you know, here's one mouthful for me and one mouthful for my for my tapeworm. You know, they, they know it's there, and they just decided, okay, we're we're going to live together. And one of us will go first. <laughs> yes. So to continue. So don't think that practicing dharma means you have to ordain and live in a monastery. When you're doing business or housework, writing or whatever, it's the same as with the breath. You don't need to set aside time just to do that. Even when you sleep, you breathe. Why? Breathing is critical to life. Actually, breath is an extremely refined nutrient. We can't do without it for two minutes. The finest delicacy to eat We can do without for two hours or two weeks, but how far can we go without breath? So the Buddha told us to contemplate the breath, in and out, in conjunction with the repetition of buddho. All parts of the body depend on it. It is the supreme food. When you contemplate, you see how valuable and precious it is for you, better than money, gold or diamonds. If it exits and doesn't enter, your life is over. Or if it enters and doesn't exit, you are dead. So this, I think this is also very um, uh, significant that uh, Lumpur Cha very much emphasized uh, Dhamma practice for the lay community as well as the monastic community. Um, 
And so that's uh, the beginning of this uh, this section. Don't think that practicing Dharma means you have to ordain and live in a monastery. Obviously, it's a skillful means that, <laughs> that, uh, that it's available if if one has the uh, inclination and the, the life situation uh, to support that. But um, it's also interesting in that uh, I was looking up that story about the, the, the minister who was... Uh, uh, out partying for a week and the, the, saw the the Buddha from the top of the elephant. It's a it's a, a commentary from the Dhammapada verse 142. And the minister, it, confusingly, was called Santati, which means continuity. <laughs> that was his name. Santati was his name. And uh, you know the story was, as I mentioned, that uh, he had been uh, given that there was some trouble on one of the borders, uh, and he'd been given the job to go and quell this. Uh, this uh, conflict uh, so in the borderlands, and he'd been successful at that. So when he came back to the capital, the the king had said, oh, "I give you the the run of the kingdom. You can you can be the ruler for a week. You're going to total license to do whatever you like." And uh, <clears throat> the story goes that he'd been partying for a, for a week and, and sort of drinking and carousing, and was on the the back of an elephant, um, sort of. Uh, going through the one of the streets of, of the city and the, the Buddha passed by on arms round and the, and the minister kind of uh, made a, a, a greeting from the top of the elephant and which was being much, much higher than the Buddha uh, and in a, in a sort of uh, casual way would have been taken as quite insulting or inappropriate. And, but yet when, when he did that, then the Buddha smiled and Venerable Ananda, as he always does in these, these situations, says, hmm, it is not without reason that the, the, the Blessed One smiles. So what is the cause? What is the reason behind this? And so he asked the Buddha, Venerable Sir, what, what's the cause? Uh, you know, you see this, this minister is behaving quite uh, inappropriately, quite, quite, uh, quite casually, and, and he's in a state of, of inebriation after having been partying for a week. Um, you know, why is it that you smile? And the Buddha said, "Well, it, uh, it might be hard to 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 believe, but before this day is over, uh, th- that man will be an arahant." And so, and that venerable Ananda said, oh, "Well, if you say so, venerable sir." And, uh, anyway, the um, the story continued. Where later on that day, um, the the minister Santati was um, watching a dance performance and this young dancing girl collapsed and died on the uh, on the floor right in front of him and that sudden death of this young person um, uh, shocked him going from this sort of a, a very uh, colorful attractive uh, appealing suddenly gone dead lying there on the ground in front of him that sobered him up very very quickly and um, his uh, his mind of, uh, having already had uh, a lot of paramita and you know, spiritual skills or developed in the past then his mind uh, reached a, a very high quality of concentration and wisdom and he realized arahantship uh, and so that uh, the buddha was right was, uh, on that, that very same day and so that um, the the uh, the verse that that is a commentary for that it's like a backup story for that verse uh, the i can't remember the exact wording of it but it goes something like uh, uh, even if somebody is is gaily decked, they they they're kind of covered in colourful clothing and jewellery, and they're they're kind of very uh, elaborately clothed. Yeah, if their heart is is pure, if their heart is uh, filled with with goodness and wisdom, 
then they are a true samana, a true bhikkhu, a true brahmin. Um, and that, uh, so if you wanted to look it up, verse 142 of the Dhammapada. And so uh, that, it's very interesting because the Buddha uses the word bhikkhu and samana and, and brahmin uh, in, in, as a kind of uh, all having the same sort of meaning uh, or equivalent meaning. That this is a true religious seeker. This is a true um, practitioner. You know, a true dhamma fara, um, irrespective of the fact they might be covered in fancy clothes and jewelry, and um, or might be, um, uh, yeah, yeah, a lay person that uh, is they're still uh, in that in the, because of the nature of their mind, uh, then they can be considered a true bhikkhu, a true samana, a renunciant, uh, and a, a brahmin, one who is one who is pure. And also the whole, the the whole section of the Dhammapada called the Brahmana Vaga, uh, the, uh, he he talks in, uh, in many many verses there in that section about what is a true Brahmin, and he's always emphasizing the quality of purity of heart and wisdom rather than the uh, birth, and you know the the sort of biological ancestry. And but what what makes a true Brahmin? What makes a true uh, someone who is uh, a holy person, um, a, a divine, someone who has that quality of divinity, a Brahma, uh, qualities, is the the nature of the heart, the the the, the purity of the jitta, and not what your your kind of parentage uh, uh, has been. And um, so uh, again, the. Um, uh, when you're doing business or housework, writing or whatever, it's the same as with the breath. You don't need to set a time aside. Then don't need to set aside time just to do that, so that we don't do a, a breathing part of the day and a non-breathing part of the day. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We don't. That's not the way that we function. And so he's saying that uh, the um, the practice of dhamma is irrespective of what the action is going on whether we're, we're talking to people or we're by ourselves or we're engaged in, in work or we're resting, whatever it might be, then that quality of, of uh, attentive observation uh, uh, to, to what's going on, how, the flow of experience that can be maintained um, just as the, the breath maintains itself, that quality of, of mindful awareness can be, uh, can be maintained. Seeing the frailty of your life through seeing the breath is the meditation on the recollection of death. Just realizing this fact, that if the breath goes in but doesn't go out again, or goes out and doesn't come in again, your life is over, that's enough to change the mind. It'll startle you into being awake. Your outlook will be transformed and your behavior will change accordingly. You will fear wrong actions and have a sense of shame toward them. You won't be so inclined to follow your impulses of craving or hatred. Mindfulness will naturally increase and wisdom will come rushing to assist you, teaching you many things. So there's those phrases there, you will fear wrong actions and have a sense of shame toward them. That's referring to uh, uh, Otapa and, uh, and Hiri. So uh, Hiri is a sense of shame or moral sensitivity and it's generally regarded as that um, uh, sense of, of regret or, or, or emotional discomfort when we think of a, 
an action that we've taken in the in the past that was unkind or was greedy or was self selfish or um, was based upon uh, a kind of um, uh, defilements within ourselves. So that sense of shame, hiri, and then otapa. Uh, otapa is defined in a couple of different ways. So fear of wrong actions. Uh, Ajahn Jayasaro uh, has a help, the useful translation of a a uh, wise fear of consequences. So that um, recognizing if this is followed, it's going to be painful. So that um, that it's not a, a neurotic fear or an anxious fear, but rather if you like standing at the side of a road if you if you don't wait for the traffic to to ease up if you just if you cross the road um without without looking or without thinking then you're likely to cause an accident for yourself and others so that fear uh, that sense of caution standing by the the roadside is is very beneficial very useful uh, it's it's not a it's not a uh, anything burdensome so otapa is that um in some definitions, it's that uh, a wise fear or co- uh, consequences or a caution. Uh, another de- definition that comes across is the um, the painful feelings of seeing unskillful actions in others. When you see cruelty, somebody acting in a, in a cruel way or a, uh, a way that's sort of vicious or indulgent or, or destructive, then that painfulness in the heart, the unskillful action of others is also... Uh, Sometimes that's uh, that's what uh, Otapa is referring to, and uh, the, I, th- I feel these are very helpful to understand. The, the two um, uh, deva-like images by the, the main doors of the temple. You have one with a blue aura on one side, one with a red aura on the other. That those are representing Hiri and Otapa, and by Lumpur Sumato's specific request. Um, when he, he he had the idea from a long time ago, when he when he was uh, when actually when they were going to build a, an oppositor hall at at Chithurst, uh, originally planned in the middle of the lake. Actually, <laughs> he uh, he even at that time back in the early eighties, he was saying we, if we build a, an oppositor hall, then we should have a statue of Hiri and Otapa there at the at the entrance. Um, and he'd seen that a few times in Thailand. It's it's unusual that they're represented in any kind of anthropomorphic form or, or symbolic form but he'd seen that a few times in Thailand and thought that's a really good symbol to have at uh, in a main monastery temple so he ended up Amravati developed after that time and then he ended up building the the oppositor hall here and um, uh, that uh, rather than having statues he asked the the classical Thai artist Pang China Sai to do the two uh, the two um, paintings by the the main door to represent Hiri and Otapa because they're also called the guardians of the world, the Lokopala, uh, and that uh, they even though they are they are painful psychological states, that's how they do their job. It's uh, regret uh, or that sense of uh, moral sensitivity. It works by by being uncomfortable. That's how like physical pain is what uh, helps us to protect the body if you injured yourself or you've strained something then treating it gently or cleaning it up and wrapping up a wound and, and looking after it it's because the, the pain tells you pay attention this is damaged if you look after it otherwise it's going to cause more problems in the future so Hiri and Otapa work in exactly that way 
Janice, is that um, before, during, or after the asking for it, or is always after, after effect? Um, well, the uh, hiri would be uh, would be after, otapa would be before. So we can be pre- preventative. Yeah, yeah. So that wise fear of consequences is like if I follow this, it's going to be nasty. Uh, I think I know where this is going to go, and so that otapa is that. Uh, you know, I don't want that to happen. That sense of of, of caution, or um, uh, uh, that um, like a buffering of that impulse to to act in a way that's that's selfish or greedy or aggressive or, or whatever, deceitful. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, and then hiri, uh, sense of, of shame is. Um, uh, generally, it's wh- what's arising after um, that an action has been followed, or, or it can be that if, if when there's a, a just on the mental level an impulse has arisen, then it, uh, that or then feeling that that sense of hearing for just for having that that desire or that aversion or that, that uh, it's arisen in your mind, so it can just be it doesn't have to be have been necessarily acted upon, just when you think oh. Uh, you know why? You know, that's so annoying. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just leave and go somewhere else? And you haven't said anything. You haven't acted on it. But that then that that thought has arisen, and then here he will be like, "Oh, that's pretty ugly. Like, why? Why should he leave? Why should you know? Why should? It's because I've got a problem with the way that person talks or acts or chants or whatever. You know, why should? Uh, why should they go away just because of? Of my aversion, and then that that discomfort in the jitta is, I would say, is here. You just so it doesn't have to be acted upon, um, but it's a it's like a kind of uh, a measure of of unskillfulness, and so that uh, again going back to to the to speaking about levels of spiritual maturity, it said that. Uh, uh, the the more that uh, a being progresses on that the path towards liberation, then the stronger hiri and otapa become. So it becomes more and more difficult to act in unskillful ways, and to the point where you get to an arahant, they can't you know they can't kill anything or can't tell a lie and so on, so forth. So that um, that one of the uh, the um, the ways of the uh, when someone is is really sort of spiritually immature or has a lot of defilements, then they'll say, "Oh, that person's got no hiriotapa. They're, they're shameless. That they just uh, that they very easily follow their impulses towards selfishness or greed or dishonesty and so on. That they uh, they are uh, they are um, yeah. Shameless is a good uh, English translation for that. So that it's." Uh, they're lacking in hiriotapa, and that's taken as a, a great weakness, or that uh, that's, that's someone is is really impoverished if they if they don't have any hiriotapa. It's a, a kind of sadness that they are they don't have that moral compass to to guide them. Any thoughts, questions? Yes. Fair to say that sort of hiri, hiri um, informs otapa. You know, we, should, we, should, we do we do something it's mm-hmm. like now you know that was really that really hurts you know 
where it's really turned, the mm-hmm. unskillful, <coughs> unskillful thing we may have done. And then that awareness of how much it hurts and also the consequences of, oh, I need to apologise to that person now. Um, you know, I've got to sit with this uncomfortable feeling until it goes away. Therefore, I make a real effort not to do that same thing mm-hmm. in the future because if I do it again, it's going to be the same painful feeling and the consequences of feeling embarrassed and apologise and whatever <laughs> consequences <laughs> may come with it. Is, is, is that yes, I would say exactly. They, uh, they work together in, in that way. And that um, it's also interesting in that light that uh, um, the uh, Lumpur child is one of his, his um, short, very uh, astute sayings is it's only in, uh, until we know the pain of attachment we won't let go. The, 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 the pain of holding on to a, a, an aversion or a grudge against somebody or a, um, something that we, we, we're possessive about. It's only when we really feel the, the painfulness of that then, then, uh, then we will, we will, that encourages us to let go. Now they, they very much work together, but it's also, it's with Hiri and Otapa, it's uh, one of the reasons why in, in the Western world, I think there's a, um, um, uh, particularly amongst Western, medita- Western meditators, uh, a, a, a kind of a wariness of talking about morality and sila, and, and that uh, that sense of regret would be seen as a sort of an obstacle or, or aversion or like a, a, a source of self-aversion um, so that they, they to avoid the topic and don't talk about it very much is because it's very easy for self-view to get wound up with Hiri and Otapa like, I shouldn't do that, I did, I'm a terrible person because I did that, I can never be forgiven I'm, I'm really awful um, and so that that in the cultivation of Hiriyotapa, which is seen as like great spiritual virtues, like, yeah, more is better. <laughs> more is better. You know, the more Hiriyotapa, the better. It's, uh, it needs to be teased apart from self-view. If, uh, if they're wound up with, with um, you know, I and me and mine, then it becomes like a source of self-hatred or anxiety or, oh, I, can't, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm a terrible person. What if I do that again? I'm going to get punished and... Um, and everybody hates me because I, I feel like this or I did that and so there's so much I and me and mine involved that the beneficial qualities of, of Hiriyatapa get sort of overridden by that uh, the um, self-critical qualities so it, it's, uh, it's especially important to um, free the to the degree possible to use the meditation to free the heart from that self-creation around Hiriyotapa. So when there is that regret, if you, if you say something that is unkind, or you, uh, you make fun of somebody, or, or you, uh, you, tell, you say something that's, that's untrue, and you know, well, it wasn't. <laughs> that, that, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't really how it happened. That rather than, oh, I'm a terrible person, uh, you know, I've, uh, I, uh, I can't be forgiven, that was, uh, that was a, a, an awful thing to do, then to just tr- to trim away or let go of that eye-making eye and mind-making around it. And just, no, well, there was something was said, and it wasn't true, so now there's this painful feeling because I was 
I bent, I bent the truth for the sake of a good story. And the feeling is, ow. <laughs> that's the cause, that's the effect. Okay, remember that. And pay closer attention in the future. And so then the um, that painfulness is then what teaches us. Uh, and that, and that's, that's the source of wisdom. And doesn't feed self-view. And that the over and over again, particularly in the Vinaya texts, uh, there's this um, the, there's this phrase that is used to to recognize one's transgressions as such, and to endeavor to do better in the future. This is called development. This is called pavana in the in the, the Buddha Sasana. So that that recognizing your transgressions, not ignoring them or pretending it didn't happen, or just saying, "Well, it doesn't matter," <laughs> just brushing them aside or wallowing in that, you know, uh, and identifying. Neither of those are really helpful, but acknowledging a transgression as such, and then rec- and then endeavouring to do to do better in the future. That's how we develop. So that we we do get lost, we do make mistakes, we do get distracted. But if they're related to with skillfulness, then that becomes a source of, of wisdom and, and development. Yes. Back to Santiti, I have a question. It seems like the behavior so close to his attaining arahantship is at odds with someone, you know, the descriptions of like someone who's cultivating and you become more refined. And mm-hmm. it seemed like he was, the way he chose to spend those seven days was much more at a gross sensorial level. Mm-hmm. Is it at odds or is. Part of the commentary rather than the sutta, so I couldn't. Uh, I, I would. My suspicion is it's quite close to the reality, but also even while someone is uh, because it, you know, the, uh, I, mean, I don't think I was there at the time, as <laughs> far as I can remember. I have no idea how it actually took place, but um, that it, you know, if you're a, a high-ranking official or you're in a kind of that sort of very um, uh, socially uh, polished world, there might be the thought, if I was in charge, or if I had a complete license, what would I do? And I would do this, this, this. And you know, if I could just do whatever I wanted. And like any of us who've ever had that idea of, like, oh, when I finish this job, when I'm on holiday, then I will. And then you kind of you follow your desires. You get up as late as you like, or you eat whatever you like. And then and then even as you're you're kind of in the middle of it something is going this isn't really worth it actually this is a bit of a waste of time like or like on christmas i don't know when if how it was uh, for you but often christmas day is a big disappointment because the expectation is like wow it's going to be christmas and it's going to be so good and then you get there and it's like it's just another day <laughs> so uh, that um yeah there were those behaviors seemingly and that, um, but that was, and that's what was happening on the on the surface level. But uh, uh, and maybe it was guided by, well, if I'm, yeah, if I if I was king for a day, this is what I would do. I would have this great feasting. But it's also that it's, if you look at the Terry Terry guitar and Terry guitar, there's quite a, a number of that stories of people's uh, atta- realization of arahantship, their attainment of the. The kind of uh, level of arahantship, where it's it's not a particularly um, the run up is not particularly wholesome. And as one as one monk who's like 
got a rope over the branch of a tree around and the, you know the ropes around his neck to hang himself because uh, he's just totally despairing at how scattered his mind has been for you know the last 25 years and he's about to, to commit suicide and then uh, again this it, is a story you can't uh, it, it is sutta rather than commentary but uh, the um, that this, then there's, there's this realization well during all those 25 years yeah, I never deliberately broke any of the, the Vinaya rules. I, I was sincere in everything I did in all those 25 years, and ooh, that was enough to to override that the the levels of agitation and all the good qualities that had been built up in the background were able to, to ripen. So, you know, if you're on the point of suicide, you've got the rope around your neck, and then within half an hour you're an arahant. <laughs> Then it's uh, the 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 um, the kind of um, particular details of the qualities of what what, what leads up to that uh, that realization that what's happening on the surface level can be not particularly uh, elevated or inspiring or, or wholesome, like uh, wanting to kill yourself. You know, it's a, you know, extremely unwholesome, out of despair. Twenty-five, it's a twenty-five years and not a finger snap of peace. I think is that's the expression in that particular verse. <laughs> and and yeah, and so that, and that's not the only the only example by any means. There's, there's quite a few that are like that, and that um, the, uh, the that uh, awakening. Is is not there's not, I mean some of them are, are not quite so unwholesome, but more just very mundane or, or not, not in any kind of particular state of, of concentration or, or solitude or anything of that nature. Now the the example of the minister Santati is a, is a bit extreme, but you know it's probably one of those things. Yeah, it's strange but true. You know, actually it happened that way. Thinking, I don't know where I've got this from, but there's a time when Ajahn Chah lost it with some novice, some novice was misbehaving, and yes. he lost it, and he went to his cutie for like I don't know a period of days. He didn't see anyone, and then that's when he realised uh, that's that, the, that's the story. Yeah. It was a uh, a novice. Um, yeah, he ran a pretty tight ship mm-hmm. at Wabapong, and. Um, and I haven't got a kettle here, but uh, uh, what, what uh, the story, as I heard it, was that in the in the sala there was a, a, a kettle of water uh, on the on the side, and this no, this young novice, a kind of teenage novice, picked this kettle up and then uh, <laughs> drank water out of the spout of the kettle, standing up, you know. And drank water out of the spout of the ke- out of the spout of the of the, of the kettle, and Lumpur Chao kind of saw him and just <laughs> went straight for him, and this novice kind of ran off, and Ajahn Chah was kind of literally running after him, and fortunately the the novice could run quicker, and ran and ran out of the monastery uh, and just <laughs> at, uh, at top speed, and uh, so then Lumpur Chao realized. 
I lost it. <laughs> and then he went into his uh, kuti, and apparently, I think for ten days, didn't didn't come out of his kuti. No one saw him. Didn't eat. Didn't, no one saw him for ten days. And then, and then when that ten days of seclusion was finished, then he came out. It was okay. Business completes. <laughs> <laughs> so losing losing his temper with a novice was. A, I mean, it was not immediately. I mean, it was, it was some some days before then, but that was a cause for seeing that that, that reactivity in himself, and then this sort of rage at the novice's misbehaviour. And you know, in the scale of wrongdoings, drinking out of the spout of a kettle is not particularly egregious. You know. <laughs> but in the in the ethics of a for, you know very strict forest monastery, that's a, well, that's a that's a no no. That's a no no. Um, what Bopong began in 1954 uh, when he was um, about uh, 30, 36, 37 years old. He was born in 1918. So um, probably early 40s. Younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> I might make that comment. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah so uh, um, do you know what year that was? I think it was fairly early days of what Bapong um, did. Uh, so he was born in, in 1918. Lumpur Sumedho arrived when he was 49 in 1967. Or for, you know, 40, I think it was 48, in the early part of the year. So it would have probably been, yeah, early 40s. So I'll just finish this, <coughs> finish this chapter. Take an interest in your breath. Set mindfulness on it, and many kinds of wisdom will arise. It's easy, because we all have the breath. When you lie down, you can fix attention on it until you fall asleep. This is truly easy. It will make the mind clean and peaceful, no matter if you're an ordained person or a lay person. Meditation is something to help us get beyond suffering. We can see what is right and wrong, but if we don't practice, we don't see clearly. Whatever we do, we should do it with knowledge. This is how the Buddha wanted his disciples to live. That's the end of that chapter. Please go ahead. Um, he died shortly after. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those. It's one of those places where I think I detect some editing. He actually. Uh, uh, it's, it says in the commentary. He. Um, Realizing that his life force was was um, rapidly coming to a close, he asked permission from the Buddha to um, uh, to uh, to you know, let his life come to an end there and then, and the uh, and so that he rose up into the air to the height of seven palm trees and spontaneously ignited. It's called entering the fire. 
entering the fire element, knowing the uh, knowing that his life was coming to an end. That was a, a way that some of the enlightened ones, their lives concluded. Dabba the Malian, uh, that's how his life came to an end. Ananda, at the age of 120, did the same thing. So, but, uh, but I, I might, see that's one of those areas where I think uh, I, I, I feel there's a uh, an editorial pen whether where there's some there was a uh, again it's just my supposition that it was the idea of having lay arahants was not something that was um, people were comfortable with or monastic people probably <laughs> were comfortable with. And so that uh, Santati, having realized Arahantship, then conveniently floats up into the air and yes. uh, bursts into flame and disappears. Then it's like, well, that's that's one way of handling it. <laughs> but uh, I, so anyway, I, I have no specific evidence, but it's one of those those things of uh, that uh, the idea of carrying on as an enlightened layperson. But the the uh, it was also because. Of the the Dhammapada verse that it's a, a commentary on, it says you know, even if someone is gaily decked, if they're kind of covered in in, in color, you know in bright clothing and jewelry and such like, they are uh, then if their heart is pure, if they have um, uh, if they have uh, the, uh, a profundity of wisdom, then they are a true bhikkhu, they're a true samana, they're a true uh, a true brahmana, uh, true brahmana. And so that the the uh, the verse itself s- seems more accommodating to the idea of a of a, a layperson being a totally enlightened, but the commentary says he flew up, he rose up into the air, had a kind of dramatic exit, but uh, uh, but uh, that was um, uh, anyway. That's where one of those places I think. Hmm. There's a, I, I, I feel there's some editing has happened here, but again, I have no, no concrete evidence for that. Just an editorial suspicion. Anyway, verse 142. You can look it up and read the story yourself. Uh-huh. Entering the fire element. And they always rise up to the height of seven palm trees. 